0: couple of days we are going to talk about guilt and grace. Guilt is something that gets talked about less and less. doesn't get valued or appreciated a lot in our days. A lot of times people think the main thing to do with guilt is make it go away. But actually uh, the Bible, the writers of scripture are quite clear that guilt is our biggest problem and not just our feelings about guilt or feeling guilty, but actually the state, the condition of guilt. That's the uh, most serious human condition. There's a wonderful book by Paul Tournier called Guilt and Grace. It's probably my favorite of his. This this is my copy of it, <laughs> as you can see. Time has done to this book what guilt can do to uh, our personhood. Um, I have another copy of it that's new, so don't feel badly for me or send me a new one. But it's just by way of saying this is great stuff. So Forty years ago, first thing I ever wrote, it was an article in an old denominational journal. And Nance and I had just started dating, and she sent me a really fun... Uh, mock version of it. And um, so resonates with me at a lot of different levels. Paul Ternier, the Swiss physician, therapist, counselor, spiritual guide, writes this. Now, a guilty conscience is the seasoning of our daily life. Never thought about that metaphor before. Part of what we'll learn over these next couple of days is to value guilt in the right way. All upbringing is a cultivation of the sense of guilt on an intensive scale. Every one of these sentences we could just live with for a while. Especially the best education, that by parents who are most anxious about the moral training of their children and their success in life. It consists above all in scolding. And all scolding, even if it is only discreet discreet and silent reprobation, suggests the feelings of guilt. Are you not ashamed to behave like that? And then he makes an interesting contrast. He says, at the beginning of the 20th century, such an upbringing tended to make children into showcase dolls, well behaved, not heard, well schooled in the social graces. And then by the middle of the 20th century, upbringing became very different. He said, the breath of liberty now blows across the cradle itself. Under the influence of the psychologists, we have come to live in what is sometimes called the therapeutic age. The meticulous upbringing of earlier days is frowned on, but the problem is very similar. Nowadays, the the parents are proud if the child is noisy, if he shows personality. My child is a leader. My child is assertive. But woe betide the child if he doesn't show enough personality, if he doesn't do something in some special field of which his parents can be proud And especially in many parts of the U.S. and in the West, that's a pressure that just crushes young people. Their friends are very ready to adjudge the child as badly brought up, even though the pattern of the well-brought-up child has changed. The child senses in his parents the inevitable fear of, what will people say? Their social reputation is at stake in him, and the responsibility weighs heavily upon him. He feels guilt if he brings shame upon them, or even if he has no exceptional gifts of which they can boast. Guilt, although it is prompted by different dynamics, does not go away. And Tournier writes that all inferiority is experienced as guilt. How does this come about in us? How do we catch it? How do we communicate it? Uh, He writes this, All people are continually making mutual accusations, all of us, continually, we cannot avoid doing this, it's the human condition, because of the sole fact that they have life in common, in the family and in society, and that inevitably they make comparisons with one another and contrast their various temperaments, their conceptions of life, their convictions. And then he writes about one time when he and his wife were having dinner in France and she ordered something to be adjusted and not to have it the way that it was on the menu. During the meal, uh, we spoke about guilt, my current subject of study. Do you know, my wife said, it made me feel guilty when I asked for that change of menu in front of you. You always eat whatever is put in front of you. And I have the impression that you think me capricious and difficult. But I did not say a word, Tournier said. No, she answered, but your silence was most eloquent. My immediate reaction was to defend myself. What, I said, I make myself the champion of everyone's right, even his duty to be himself, unreservedly and without pretense, and you, of all people, do not dare to show your desires without being afraid of my criticism? I thus threw back on her shoulders the responsibility for the sense of guilt which she had felt. Yet she was right. In my troubled silence, during her conversation with the manager, that judgment was indeed present. Hardly conscious, it is true, but enough for her to be intuitively aware of it. I can make myself the zealous champion of every person's duty to be themselves, and be unaware of bringing silent criticism to bear on my wife when she behaves differently. I am thus causing the growth in her of false guilt, for true guilt is precisely the failure to be oneself. It is the fear of other people's judgment that prevents us from being ourselves as God created us to be. So we might think about guilt in this way, little two-by-two two chart with four quadrants. Uh, I will hold it up and show you, but you might see a graphically enhanced version of this. You can think about uh, two different axes. One is... I can feel guilty or not feel guilty and then the other is my actual condition where I actually am guilty or where I actually am not guilty. And so each one of these quadrants can have a different label. If I actually am guilty and I feel it, that's conviction. That's got it work in my life to let me know. If I feel guilty but I'm not really guilty, that's neuroticism. That's neurotic guilt or false guilt. If I'm in a condition where I'm not guilty and I don't feel guilty, that's peace, that's shalom, that's well-being. We were made for that. We want to return to that. Now, if I'm actually guilty but I don't feel it, it's interesting. We don't have a great word for this. Uh, I will talk about it as blindness now because Jesus talks about that. That's often... Uh, used in scripture or it might talk about someone whose conscience lacks sensitivity or it's seared um, interestingly in psychology we have words like psychopath or sociopath or antisocial somebody who has those qualities will probably end up in jail or as president one or, one or the other of those and here's what I want to say uh, to wrap up today the very pursuit of life together with God or spiritual growth can easily cause us to become blind to what is wrong inside of us. It can move us towards neurotic guilt and God's never pleased with me. And sometimes in the same person, it can also move me to think about what a good person I am. Look at me. There's a fascinating article by a guy named Scott Kaufman called The Science of Spiritual Narcissism. And he talks about how recent research is showing that engagement in certain spiritual practices, and this is not restricted to Christianity uh, in pretty much any tradition, can often lead to self-preoccupation and a glorification of the self. This is what he writes. If a major point of yoga is quieting the ego and reducing focus on the self, why are there so many yoga pose pictures on Instagram? Don't get me wrong. I genuinely enjoy looking at all the very intricate yoga poses. But from my reading of the yoga literature, it doesn't seem as though the theoretical intent of yoga is primarily for physically attractive people to display with pride their ability to twist themselves into a pretzel. In other words, our crafty ego is capable of taking Even those practices which are supposed to be attempts at self-improvement and turn them into journeys of self-glorification, self-justification, self-deification, and self-righteousness which actually takes us farther away from God. He talks about how, according to William James, the father of American psychology, any skill that increases its centrality in the self system is likely to breed a bias towards self enhancement. Makes me more aware of myself, and I begin to think that I'm doing better than other people. Self enhancement through spiritual practices can fool us into thinking that we're involving and growing, when in fact, all we are growing is our ego. And of course, Jesus talked about this all the time in his day. The people who became quite famous for this in Scripture are the Pharisees. We turned Phariseeism into uh, an accusation, but of course, in their day, they were generally looked up to as people who were spiritually serious. And I can become pride. Uh, <laughs> I can become proud based on my articulateness, or how much I know about theology or spiritual practice, even finding someone to read about and follow knowing a lot about Dallas Willard, or Paul Tournier, or name any kind of theological system, can end up leading me away from the very life that God is calling me to. And the only solution to this is to bring my ego, and uh, my guilt, and my lack of guilt before God. And that's where I find grace. So, as you walk through this day, just be aware of those four quadrants. And... uh, pause every once in a while and check in with yourself. Am I right now being neurotic and I feel guilty about something where I shouldn't? I just feel a sense of inadequacy. I I feel like I'm not smart enough or athletic enough or something where just the uh, false demands of society breed that in me. Or have I hurt somebody? Is my pride going unchecked? Is the way that I'm handling my finances, neglecting folks who are poor, turning me into somebody who is miserly rather than generous? Am I gossiping about people in a demeaning way or um, self-promoting? Am I mishandling my anger? Am I withdrawing from other people? Is there an area where God would want to let me know, uh, wrong track, wrong track. Is there a sense of conviction where I need to change? Or as best as I can tell right now, am I at peace? Walk through the day with that awareness, asking God for his help. And we will talk more about this remarkable gift of guilt next time. Love you. Thanks for joining us here at becomenew.me. You can join the conversation on YouTube or Facebook or Instagram. If you'd like to receive the daily emails that go along with each video, let us know at become new.me at gmail.com. Or if you want prayer, you can text us at 855-888-0444.